Welcome to the Chapter 49 podcast. Today is October 20th of 2024. My name is Larry Lannon. I'm a volunteer, and I uh, do uh, work uh, dealing with communications for Chapter 49. Chapter 49 represents most IRS employees in the state of Indiana. So we welcome you to our podcast, and we welcome Duncan Giles, our chapter president. Good to have you back, Duncan. Thanks, Larry. It's always good to be here. So I'm trying to figure out what's going on, because in a lot of the Midwest, we're seeing temperatures recently in the 70s in October, late October. This is very strange. I, you know, you're never going to hear me arguing about high temperatures that <laughs> like that. Any, any chance I get to wear shorts on the weekends in October, I'm all for. I don't know, Duncan. I thought you wore shorts and 40 below, but I could be wrong on that. <laughs> I was younger then. <laughs> ah, I see. We were all younger then. That, I can speak for myself, too. Well, let's get into our podcast for today. Several issues we want to talk about. I think one of the most important issues that any federal employee or actually most retirees will deal with is How do you deal with the Federal Employee Health Benefit Program, called FEHB? If you're you're currently working for the federal government, you are eligible to participate in that. And if you are a retiree, one of the great benefits you get from being a retired federal employee is having access to the Federal Employee Health Benefit Program, FEHB. So what we have in FEHB are some decisions because there's a long list of providers of health insurance, and sometimes it is difficult to sort through that and figure out which one is best for you. NTEU for the past several years has offered a benefit to its employees. You would have to pay extra to get this if you're not a member of NTEU, and it's called the checkbook. So Duncan, remind us again what the checkbook is all about and and why it's so important to our members. Yeah, the consumer checkbook is actually a uh, a great great thing. Uh, basically, what it does is it'll compare apples to apples, oranges to oranges, on all things for different healthcare plans. You go in, you give it some basic information, your zip code, things of that nature, and it'll populate what um, what health insurance options you have, whether you want it to be. Um, you know, PPO or HMO, uh, you know, different things of that nature. And then it'll show what the premiums are, what your, you know, your catastrophic limits are, what your co-pays are, things of that nature. And you can make some really intelligent decisions uh, on this. And I counsel employees every year and will continue to do so this open season uh, that starts in a little bit less than a month to take a look at the consumer checkbook because you know there are certain there's a certain company out there that the vast majority of employees go to it's it's a great um you know organization for health insurance it really is but it's also one of the most expensive and depending upon your family's needs it can be you know something that you can find elsewhere at a uh, much lower premium rate and still get the same benefits in addition to that, it'll show you rates, you know, people like um, thinking, well, it's just myself and my spouse. So we should look at self and family. Well, no, not necessarily, because oftentimes the family plan, the self plus one is more expensive 
than the self plus family, even if you only have yourself and a spouse. So the consumer checkbook is a great, great benefit that NTU provides that shows all these things. And you can go through and learn an awful lot to make the best decision for uh, not only your family's health needs, but also your pocketbook as well. Yeah. You know, Duncan, I do think it's important to remember they put you through a bit of a uh, of an interview when you go into that because there are a lot of factors that play into it. Is it just you, you and the spouse? Do you have eligible children that are on the program? What type of health issues do you have that are, for instance, chronic or that you know are coming up? So those are all considerations. Not that that interview goes through all of it, but you have to think about that. And and again. If you think about changing plans, you're certainly entitled to do that. But if you have doctors you're tied to or medical offices where you have a long-standing relationship, you need to make sure that whatever health plan you choose will be accepted by those providers. And that's an absolutely wonderful point, Larry, because you do want to make those phone calls to your doctor's office saying, hey, look, I'm considering switching from this plan to this plan. Do you guys cover it? And the vast majority of time, they'll be able to tell you very quickly in the office whether they do or not. So that's because you do, you know, you want to choose your own doctors. You want to choose who's going to be taking care of you and you want to make sure that's covered. And so a particular plan, even if it covers, you know, has great overall value, has great coverage and things of that nature, if the regular medical folks who you use don't use it or, uh, you know, aren't, you won't be able to be covered by it. It doesn't do you a darn bit of good. So contacting those providers, those regular doctors you have to make sure that they do take the insurance that you're looking at is a great, great idea. So once again, it's, it's free to all members. <clears throat> Excuse me. If you go to our, here we go. We're going to plug our Facebook page again. <clears throat> Excuse me. Uh, we have a Facebook page. You go to Facebook and simply go and, and search uh, on Facebook under NTEU Chapter 49, Indiana, that exact phrase, and uh, check us out. We have the new flyer up where you kind of gives you a step-by-step on how to get into that. And if you're a member and don't have a, an account with NTU.org, you need to go ahead and do that. Once you have that set up, you can get into the checkbook. And uh, so the checkbook is 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 a wonderful experience. That's, it's not. I, I want to say one other thing. It is not limited to just the FEHB program. There's another program that is available to federal employees called Benefeds. Uh, it's not um, underwritten by the government, but you get a group rate that is better than you could probably get on your own for. Uh, insurance like dental. I have a dental insurance program with them, and I have a a vision uh, program with them. Uh, So if you need glasses like I do all the time, uh, you can certainly uh, get a benefit from from that. And uh, uh, the FEHB program doesn't offer that. Benefits does a separate program for that. And the checkbook, the consumer checkbook, will also analyze those for you and uh, see what might be best for you. And again, check with your dentist or your vision provider uh, to make sure that they uh, they participate in this, this vision or dental program. But uh, it's another way you can get some benefit from the consumer checkbook. Anything more on that before we move on, Duncan? Uh, just to make sure that folks will be hearing about this and going, wow, I want to go check that out. Well, it's not going to be available. NTU will be posting this on their website. And you'll be able to go in through uh, our Facebook page 
when open season starts occurring in the middle of November. So you still got a few more weeks for this, but we want to give uh, folks an early heads up to be thinking about this. And we'll probably be mentioning it in later podcasts just because it's such a wonderful benefit. And I'm all for anything that can save employees money. I, I want you to take a look at this and try and make sure that you help you and your families. But again, it's it's not going to be up for another couple of weeks. Yeah, there's a good reason for that because there's a lot of data to sift through and there's a lot of information that, that needs to be analyzed before that checkbook can be of value to you. So the checkbook will be ready on the date you can begin making those changes when open season begins November 13th. And it, it will be available through the open season. Okay, let's move on. Uh, you know, Duncan, we're not too far away from Halloween. We are seeing the House of Horrors. And when I sp- <laughs> what I'm speaking of is the House of Representatives cannot select a speaker, a speaker of the House, which is normally a, a very routine thing. You know, the whatever... Whichever party is in the majority has a caucus. They decide within that caucus who it's going to be. Then the whole House votes on it, and you know the the people who are in power, the 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 party with the most votes in the House, elect a speaker. Well, we did that back in January, didn't we, Duncan? I believe it was. Yes, we did, and and um, both you and I had talked. Uh, offline and online and figured that this day would come, but we didn't realize it would um, keep being Groundhog Day and uh, just keep being the same day over and over again uh, with this situation. Well, and you know, Kevin McCarthy, it took him 15 ballots to, and who knows, no, nobody's really sure what he promised everybody at the time he became Speaker, but he it really is, is, is null and void now because he agreed to a rule that allowed one member of the House to call for what's called what's called a vacation of the a vote to vacate. I think is what it's technically called. And uh, Matt Gates did that, and then uh, McCarthy was not able to get enough votes to keep the speakership, which made the speakership vacant, which has sort of happened a little bit on short periods of time. But we're now on sixteen days, is it, Duncan, on the date that yes, we record this? You made fun of me last time we had a podcast. I said, well, by the time you hear this podcast, the whole thing could be settled. You said no, and you were right. <laughs> it wasn't <laughs> settled. So what we've had are uh, Steve Scalise. Was, well, actually, McCarthy said he might be willing to come back. if He won't campaign, but if people really want him, well, that didn't happen. Steve Scalise out of Louisiana. The, the poor guy is battling cancer, and he wants to be Speaker of the House. I don't get that. I wish him well with his health, but uh, he couldn't get enough votes. So he bowed out. Now, Jim Jordan of Ohio, and and there was an article in Government Executive Magazine recently about how he has not exactly been a friend of federal employees, so I'll refer you to that if you want to see his Mr. Jordan's record on that. But he can't get enough votes, and he's had two votes, and the day we record this, they're supposed to have another vote today, as you know, but uh, on the 20th, but there's no indication he's got enough votes today. A proposal was put on where they could at least have a a speaker pro tem temporarily that could at least have votes on major issues like support for Ukraine and support for support for Israel and uh, some other important uh, funding bills. Uh, so that all that can't be done. Well, uh, without that, well now. 
Jordan originally said yes to that, and now he says no. So it's 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 the House of Horrors, Duncan. And the real problem here, and the way it could affect the federal workforce, is we are we are once again going to be butting up against a deadline for a government shutdown. That will be November 17th. After that date, if there's no continuing resolution or budget, good luck with that, uh, none of that's done, then what we will have is this situation where we have no speaker and we can't fund the government, we can't avoid a government shutdown. And once there is a speaker, then you just start. I mean, that's just the day you start working on it. You can't work on any of this until there's a speaker. So it does have an impact on on people who work for the federal government. And and that's, I think, why we should all pay attention to this. Right, Duncan? Absolutely. You know, this is, you know, it's running the federal government, funding the federal government. And that's the main purpose of Congress, and until they get a speaker, they can't make those first steps. You know, as we record this on, you know, late on Friday morning, they are getting ready to start voting uh, again uh, to see if Jim Jordan will have the votes for speaker. I will make a pretty educated guess that by the time that we are done with this podcast, he will not have the votes, Um, since it only takes a few, uh, if, if all of one party stays the same, he'll need everything but three votes from his own party, and I do not believe he'll get that. So the definition of insanity is keep doing the same thing over and over again and thinking you'll get a different result, and that's where we're at right now. Uh, there has to be some outside-of-the-box thinking uh, on everybody's part in Washington at this point to solve this. Because like you said, Larry, once we get a speaker, now there's a large faction in the House that says, we don't want to do these omnibus bills and we don't want to do any more continuing resolutions. We want to do it in regular order. We want to pass these bills uh, that fund the different agencies in regular order, which is the way that you know you and I remember it used to being uh, back in more normal times. But we haven't had that in forever And now we're going to be looking at something that if they want to do that in regular order, they are going to have to pass a continuing resolution because there's no way to get that done by November 17th. And I have serious doubts, unless it's a bipartisan effort, that they will be able to get even a continuing resolution for the 17th. It's what we're seeing, folks, here is history. And it's, you know, not all history is good. And this is one that I don't believe is, is it's not good, but it's, it's painful and we've got to work through it so we can get the government funded, so we can get money for the IRS. Right now we're doing a lot with the uh, money we got from the Inflation Reduction Act, but there's a lot of things that we can't do with that. So it's very possible we will be looking, you know, at a shutdown unless rationale, ration minds come together and and you know agree to something which we've been hoping for for quite a long time but i i just don't see it at this point until things change and people realize that there's got to be a monumental shift in thinking to be able to get this done you know duncan history buffs will remember this but there was a time right after world war one in the early part of the 20th century where politicians ran on a uh, platform of a return to normalcy 
I'd kind of like to see that come back. What is normalcy? And, you know, we haven't seen it for a while. You talked about the regular order we have not seen in, in, in a long time just to get budgets done, and that's how it impacts the federal workforce. You know, our agencies need to be funded, and, of course, you know, we have to be funded to be paid. So all that's lurking. We are watching this very carefully. Watch our Facebook page. Keep uh, track of our podcasts as we uh, continue to try to make them as weekly as we can make them. I want to talk about something else here and move the the discussion in another direction. NTEU represents, I think, 35 federal agencies in in total, including, of course, the IRS being the the largest of all of them. But there was a recent uh, ruling by the impasse panel, without getting too much in the weeds, when there's a dispute between management and a union over bargaining, it goes to the impasse panel to try to make a decision one way, you know, on one, either with one or the other is the way I think it works. But the impasse panel came down with a very interesting ruling just recently. NTEU does represent the employees at the Federal Election Commission, also referred to as the FEC. The FEC employees wanted to work telework. They've been working telework a long time. It's been working out well. There was a recent study that showed that it actually did improve the uh, working of the agency. The operation of the agency was improved by telework. Yet management went into a bargaining negotiation with NTEU saying, you know, we really miss those water cooler discussions. We really want to have that again. People in the office talking to each other. I don't know about you, Duncan. I've been through some very productive water cooler discussions that I'd have. I've been involved with some. I'd just soon forget. So <laughs> I would like to get your view. This seems to be, a, I mean, the impasse panel has sided with the employees, but I think there's a larger issue here. This, this argument by management that people need to be in the office all the time or most of the time with this water cooler discussion argument, I think that the impasse panel and, and other uh, neutral bodies are saying that's really not a, a, a legitimate argument. How do you see this? Yeah, this is one of the things that when we sat at the table uh, for our latest, the 2022 national agreement for the IRS, that management was very interested in. They wanted people back in the office so there could be that camaraderie, that collegiate atmosphere where people talked, had the water cooler discussions, talked among themselves, you know, helped each other, things of that nature. And, you know, the chapter presidents that were sitting there, and myself included, were telling them, that's wonderful. That's that's great to have. You haven't had that for over 20 years. You know, that's not been happening because people have been working out in the field or you've had folks teleworking. And it's just, I understand where they're coming from but that's not going to get the desired result. You know, when you get people coming into the office, I can tell you, folks who have to come into the office even twice a pay period, they're not happy. They don't want to come in the office. They feel they're as productive as they uh, as they are at home, as they are in the office. They are can be reached by their uh, fellow workers or their managers via Teams, via phone calls, via emails. Uh, so they're, you know, they're able to have these types of discussions if they need to. They don't have to be done in person. So I think this is an outmoded way of thinking by management. And I'm, you know, but we're still seeing more and more of it. 
um, in private and public sectors. We still, you know, we have the folks who want to, you know, bring people in. Let's talk more. Let's be more. You know, you're going to have to be able to manage a remote workforce. That's the wave of the future. That's been the wave since COVID. And it's shown it can be very productive and it can work. And folks are going to have to get used to that because you're not going to be able to put the genie back in the bottle at this point. You know, Duncan, uh, I was chapter vice president in the 1990s when we started that thing called Flexi Place at the time. And uh, I traveled the state with uh, a management official who I got to know a lot better later, Christine Kitts, wonderful lady. And uh, she's now retired also. But at that time, I was the union representative and she was the management representative to travel around the state and to explain this new uh, thing called a flexi place at that time. And what I found is that a lot of the employees were like excited about this. A few didn't want to do it. That's fine. They weren't required to and still aren't. But the management, that was just, they just had a an absolutely reluctant is not even close to the right word I want to use. <laughs> there was one uh, revenue agent group manager who was talking to some of his employees after Chris, Chris and I had made our presentation and just said, well, I don't see how you could support the group and do this. I mean, that's the kind of stuff we were dealing with. So, But it was really, at that time, only four people who were in the field for the most part. It was people who were doing the collection work, the revenue officers. It was the revenue agents who went out in the field and did the audit work. And it went out from there. Anybody who really had a job where it could be done at home reasonably uh, could have a shot at, at, at uh, what was then called Flexi Place. It slowly moved out. But what you did in the last uh, bargaining is people call it telework now because of technology. But we didn't have the ability to connect into the office in those days. Now we have telework. That's more accurate description of working at home or another location. So, Duncan, my, I, I guess the uh, the thing I would I would compliment you and your bargaining team the last time around, you have expanded the number of jobs that are eligible for telework. That was a very important uh, move forward. Yeah, this is something, and I always like to give credit where credit's due, NTU National, in particular at that point, um, Doreen Greenwald, who was an advisor to uh, the president at the time, Tony Reardon, Vice President of the time, Jim Bailey, and our Director of Negotiations, Ken Moffat, were very in tune listening to the chapter presidents that were not only there at the bargaining table, but who had made suggestions saying, hey, look, we've got a ton of jobs that can be done via telework. They don't have to be in there. Um, and they listened and we pushed for it. And we've gotten a lot more folks who are able to do telework uh, jobs, including folks who are on the phones in accounts management, uh, folks working in TAS, uh, a lot of service center areas where they don't deal in paper. So we want to continue to push that type of thing that where a job can be done by telework, for, you know, why wouldn't you let people do that? All it's going to do is improve your engagement, your employee engagement. It's going to reduce your FMLA usage. It's going to reduce your sick leave usage. You know, there's there's a lot of, you know, win-wins. And as I've told people, and I've told this to a lot of managers, well, you know, we're worried that people won't be doing the things they need to be doing at home. Okay, well, if you're a poor performer, 
you're going to be a poor performer if you're on telework, you're in the office, you're out in the field. If you're a poor performer, that's what you are, period. It, telework is not going to help or hurt that. There are certainly provisions in the contract, Duncan, that if somebody is performing poorly and they're working on, on, on telework, that the manager can bring them in and start working with them or assign a coach and, and work closely with them one-on-one. Or you could also do that remotely to some extent. So this argument that, well, you know, uh, poor performers and all this, well, you know, first of all, you, I'm a former manager. You know, even though I had people worked in the office, I had occasional telework, and I knew what my employees were doing. I knew from the work output and, and, and so forth. That's just the quality, but the, you know, the quantity of what they were able to produce. I knew whether they were working, so I didn't have to worry about that. And that's a manager's job to do that. Uh, so I, I find it rather odd that they think they can't, because they can't put their eyes on the employees and walk past them. These managers are gone all the time anyway, so they're not always in the office. I, I just find that a rather strange argument, but it keeps coming up. I want to go to another aspect of this. We've talked about this in a recent podcasts. Telework is directly relinked to your ability to have access to your own desk. If you want to have your own desk, uh, telework probably is not for you. Now, there is something called hoteling, which means when you do come to the office, you will not have your own desk. So if you want to get your own desk set up exactly the way you want it, uh, you're probably not going to be able to telework because it seems like the management is moving in a direction where they want to save money on rent, understandable there, but they also want to make sure that if you're not working in the office every day, that they're going to let somebody else use your desk on a regular basis, this whole thing called hoteling. So really the, the, the telework contract provisions and what the management is trying to do with hoteling, this desk-sharing arrangement, it's all tied together, isn't it? It certainly is. Yeah, if you're on frequent telework right now, management absolutely has the legal right to say, okay, we're going to take you, you know, these are the folks who are um, – you know, teleworking more than 80 hours a month or in the uh, combination in the field and teleworking more than 80 hours a month. They legally have the right, contractually have the right to say, okay, we're going to want you to desk share. Now, myself, National NTU, and my brethren across the country are like, okay, we understand that. And when you start doing these space reductions, we can see it. We can see that. But right now, if you have all these empty desks and you haven't done a project yet that is starting to reduce that, or you haven't gotten a ton of hiring, then we want to, um, you know, make sure that folks, why, why do you need to do this? Now, the flip side of this is where it gets really interesting. And, you know, uh, I think I mentioned this last podcast, uh, our, our friend up in uh, Chicago area, Lori McCann, uh, the president of Chapter 10, we've had discussions about the fact that in several of those posts of duties up in that area, there is no space. Literally, there is no space. We had an issue with one of our posts of duties where literally even for they hired so many people without talking to the facility, the facilities folks, the FMSS folks, that there wasn't even teleworking desks to be shared for hoteling. So you know, management is, you know, management's got to work with facilities because 
if you want to hotel people that are doing frequent telework, okay, we understand that, but you better have the desk to be able to do that or folks are going to be working from home. So then you have a situation where people can't even hotel. There, These people can work at home all the time because there's no room for them at, at the end, right? Exactly. If, if you've got, uh, you know, seven or eight desks designated as hoteling desks and you fill those with new hires who are going to be there full time while they're in training and things of that nature, there's, you know, there's nowhere for those three to one people to go with three people sharing a desk. There's nowhere for them to go to be three to one because there are no desks available. And that's what we saw happening up in, um, as we like to call it, the region up in northwest Indiana and the Chicagoland area. So, you know, we've gone through these space reductions. Now we're going through these mass hirings and we have to make sure that we are as we as the IRS are hiring where we have space available. I know this doesn't seem like a difficult concept, but apparently, in some ways, it is. Um, so it's it's just it makes it very interesting and tricky to try and do this because we want to make sure that employees have the rights to do the telework that they if they so choose to do so, and that management gets to do their hoteling, but. There have to be the available desks to do that. Okay, Duncan, we're about out of time. <clears throat> Excuse me, time for your final comment. Yeah, this this whole thing we've got, you know, Congress is in, and uh, you know, the House of Representatives in in the problem. Not only do we need um, funding for the federal government, but in my mind, we also need funding to help democracies like Israel, like um, like the Ukraine to be able to defend themselves against folks who are more authoritarian and don't care about the will of the people. So I, I just, you know, my heart goes out to anywhere that there is conflict, armed conflict right now. And we need as a nation to be able to come behind them both spiritually and financially to assist them because, you know, we are the bastion of freedom. We are, you know, we are the ones that have been the flag bearers for this, and we need to continue to do so in my mind. Well, Duncan, I'm not going to be nearly as serious as you in this final comment. I, don't, I, sh I need to mention that my wife and my daughters are big fans of all these you know, re reality shows like Bachelor, Bachelorette, and all that stuff. Well, with a writer's strike just settled and an actor's strike still going on in Hollywood— Reality TV has taken a jump up because that's all that the, the, the networks can do. I, I found out there's this new thing called the Golden Bachelor. <laughs> the Golden Bachelor is not a young guy. It's, a, it's an older guy. He's a pretty nice-looking guy. He seems to be in good shape. Duncan, what I found out is that the Golden Bachelor is 72 years of age, exactly my age. And let me just reveal privately private information to everybody i am not in as good a shape as that guy <laughs> but uh, it's funny because i hear my my wife and daughters talk about this show and they said oh you know these older women they're so much nicer than the, <laughs> the young girls on the bachelor and bachelorette i said well isn't that interesting although i guess one of them got kind of rude and got voted off the island or whatever it is so I, i'm not going to be serious I, there's enough uh, going on in the world that i thought uh 
Talking about the Golden Bachelor is my way of saying goodbye to this podcast. Duncan, thank you so much um, for being with us again. This is the Chapter 49 podcast. We try to make it as weekly as we can. And uh, we want to also mention that uh, Errata, I, on the last podcast, it was uh, recorded on October 12th, and later in the podcast, I talk about it being October 13th. I can't even figure out what day it is. I guess that's because I'm golden bachelor age, right? So um, <laughs> uh, uh, I appreciate, I appreciate, I don't think anybody even mentioned it. I went back and listened to it because I have to listen for audio quality and realize, oh my gosh, I made a mistake. So this is not going to be the last time I have one, but I just wanted to let everybody know I've, I caught it. And yes, I'm sorry, I got days mixed up in the previous podcast. We thank you so much for watching and listening. Duncan and I take time out to do this as many weeks as possible because you let us know. You give us comments. If you have any comments, uh, good or bad, or suggestions for podcast discussions, go to our uh, email address and just send us an email, nteu49 at aol.com. Did I get that right, Duncan? Yes, you okay. did. Every now and then I don't get it right. So, again, we appreciate you watching and listening, and please be safe and be kind. <laughs>